Welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Toot. Bang your head. <laughs> <laughs> Bang your head. Come on. Metal health will drive you mad. <laughs> Sounded particularly uh, rich there today, Dan. As I was saying. <laughs> Bang your heads. Metal health will drive you mad. You're right, Don. It's the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. How are you gentlemen doing? How are your necks feeling after a week of headbanging? Yeah, I am thankful that my wife is a massage therapist because I got some serious shoulder and neck pain going on right now after a week of this metal onslaught we've been facing. Yeah, it's about time to take my uh, hair extensions out because it's no fun to headbang, you know, when your hair is short. So, I, you know, I had some some woven in this week. <laughs> Try it bald, man. Don got a weave. Wow. <laughs> that's dedication we gotta get some pictures of that yeah <laughs> this is the album nerds podcast three friends we love the music we love the album format uh this week we've got a great show for you we are talking about three albums answering a question talking about what we learned and then of course spinning the wheel of musical destiny to find out what kind of albums we're going to talk about next time but this week it's all about that head bangers ball that's what I'm talking about! A Headbangers Ball was a music television program that consisted of heavy metal music videos airing on MTV and its global affiliates. Uh, the show began in 1987, playing videos from both well-known and more obscure artists, and it, the show offered a stark contrast to the top 40 music videos shown during the day. The Ball, as it was commonly called, replaced a show called Heavy Metal Mania, which, which had been aired since 1985 and was hosted by Dee Snyder of of Twisted Sister. MTV kind of expanded the format and added more live interviews with, with bands. The first host was Kevin Seal. Then there was uh, Adam Curry. And then ultimately you had Ricky Rackman who, who did it uh, for the majority of the show's run. It was canceled in 1995, um, but was revived in 2003 on MTV2. At some point, it just kind of became like a block of videos instead of a, a show. Right. And then now, uh, apparently, uh, Rackman hosts a, a show called The Ball on something called Gimme Metal TV. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so uh, today each of us will present an album from an artist who was featured on the original run of MTV's Headbangers Ball. Yeah, so Metal Mania, you said, was the original? Heavy yes. Metal Mania. Heavy Metal yeah, Mania. Yeah, Headbangers Ball is a much better, <laughs> much more, that sounds like something cool to be a part of. I was I didn't have cable at this period. I was more of a Yo MTV Raps guy if I did get to see MTV or and then 120 minutes. So I kind of skipped the metal thing. I didn't really get into it until alternative rock started dying in the mid 90s. It was it was quick. Um, and then I started turning to metal because it was consistent. There was a lot of hard rock and good stuff and and I continue with that and the metal lives on. I listened to a few things, Skid Row, Wasp, Dokken, Twisted Sister, Aerosmith, all things I would listen to regularly anyway. But yeah, it was a, it was a good week. It was a fun week, and uh, I'm excited to talk about these records. How'd you guys do? Yeah, it was pretty fun. Definitely a huge shift from the boy band stuff we were doing the previous week. That's true. <laughs> um, that's the fun doing the show. So I, I dug into a helmet record called Meantime, which I think was actually really interesting. Had some jazz elements that... Almost made me pick it. An all-girl group 
by the name of Cycle Sluts from Hell and their oh, cycle-titled yeah. album Hell. from 91, which is pretty good. And I dug into a band called Prong, which I had never heard mm-hmm. of before. They were kind of like metal, and they got into like an industrial space later in their career, which is kind of interesting. They were kind of lumped in with Tool for some reason. Yeah, similarities, um, for mm-hmm. sure. Especially the early Tool stuff. Not bad. I'm not talking about them, but I'm pretty happy with where I landed. Yeah, originally I was kind of looking in the uh, industrial space, and so I, I checked out a couple of ministry albums. The one I spent the most time with was "The Mind Is a Terrible Thing to Taste" from 1989. Good title. <laughs> yeah, I just Great couldn't title. do it. I don't know what it is. I like. I kind of want to like ministry. Me too. Yeah. But I, I just, I don't know. There's something about it that keeps me away. <laughs> There's something off-putting about the lead singer. I, I don't know his name, but like just... Jorgensen or something? I think it is. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, the little pencil mustache and stuff. There's just something creepy yeah. about him. I think that it's tough to... trust this guy. <laughs> yeah. What's he all about? I also thought about doing typo negative, uh, bloody kisses. Mm. Um, that, yeah, um, that would have been good. Yeah, uh, it's just that that album plays a little long for me. You know, it kind of kind of wears on me, but it, it starts out really really strong. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy with uh, with the pick I made. All right, well, let's get to the headbanging. You choo choo choose me. I think you guys should try heavy metal. Kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Love that guy. Okay. Uh, for my selection here, we're talking about Faith No More and their 1989 record, The Real Thing. Let's play that big single. Here's a bit of epic. Never heard that before. Yeah, first time? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so that song was featured twice on Headbangers Ball. Just twice, huh? Yeah, surprisingly just twice, yeah. The band was on the show a bunch. They hosted a few episodes and had a couple other songs on here as well. So, The Real Thing, third studio album for the San Francisco-based five-piece. The big change with this record is the addition... Of Mike Patton on vocals, replacing Chuck Mosley. Kind of joined the band kind of late in the process here and just uh, wrote all the lyrics for the record in two weeks after all the music had been recorded. My three words to describe this record are, see if you guys get this, you got the right one, baby. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You got the right one, baby. With 100% uh-huh. Soft drink joke there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think this album and this band really kind of just go from like zero to a hundred here with the addition of Patton at the helm and it just really melds everything together nicely and they really come out with like a fully realized version of themselves on this record and I think it's pretty exciting they're definitely pushing the boundaries of of what metal is especially in 1989 it sounds very ahead of its time with like the you know the elements of hip-hop and some other surrounding genres here I don't know like the change Especially from the album right before this. Mm-hmm. For energetic music, it was low energy, and Mike Patton brought a lot of fire to the to the sound. It's weird how big of a difference a lyricist and vocalist can make uh, to a established band, a good band. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, the band's been solid, and there's a couple lineup changes over the years, but yeah, Patton is such a dynamic character, and his voice is just so all over the place, and he has so many different styles, and I think that fits in great with the band, because they're a very eclectic 
group themselves. So I remember watching, I think maybe they were on Saturday Night Live. I was at some kid's house watching it, and I remember a kid saying, there's a document somewhere that says he's legally insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, man. I, I, the mythos of Mike Patton. I just, I, I miss that kind of stuff being said and no, like, picking up your phone to check it. Yeah. Right. I miss that stuff just just passing along. Just gonna stick in your brain for the next decade and you're like, hey, he's probably and insane. now someone someone who's listening to this hopefully will take that and believe it. And then it'll continue yeah. on. Well, it was believable at the time because I, I think he had like pigtails in or something. It's, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, his hair's always been pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> There's a document. <laughs> what was that dude's first name? Actually, I think the guy's name was Henry. <laughs> Shout out to Henry. <laughs> okay, why don't we play another cut from the record? This is a little bit of the real thing. Yeah, that's quite one of the more, I, I guess, progressive moments on the album. I, I think this track and uh, that Zombie Eaters, the, I really enjoyed those uh, a lot. This one, I particularly like the the lyrics, uh, although I'm not sure that I you know completely understand. It kind of starts out, it's like the real thing, and then all of a sudden, it's so unreal or it's not real. <laughs> the three words I, I chose to describe this album are out of nowhere, uh, which, of course, is the name of the, the opening cut. But to me, anyway... You know, because, you know, what did I know about music at the time? You know, this just seemed like, you know, it came from out of nowhere. You know, you've got this this band that's sort of fusing metal and, and hip hop. You know, and that's not something I, I guess that it had uh, occurred to me at the time. But of course, you know, out in California, you had you know bands like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, doing this uh, this sort of thing. But you know, I do remember this track standing out, you know, both on the radio and on MTV. And I, I remember you know people being very uh, very excited about it. But yeah, it's finally um, you know after all these years, it's 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 finally nice to you know spend time with with this album. Uh, of course, I like the the use of of synths. You know, they're just kind of thrown in there to to provide you know just a, like a little extra atmosphere to the tracks. I like Patton's lyrics uh, a lot. I, I can't help but you know compare him to Anthony Kiedis. You know that that rap style. In a lot of ways, I, I think I, I prefer Patton. You know, it's just a much more commanding and, and sort of dominant way of uh, of rapping. And that just the band overall is just I think much darker and doesn't sort of have that goofball thing going on that the uh, that the Chili Peppers have. Well, it's that that legal insanity that he brings to the table. <laughs> exactly. Official. But yeah, I mean it's it's more metal yes. and less funk. Yeah, people had them confused at the time a little bit, but I always thought they sounded very different. There was a bit of a controversy at the time the record came out with Anthony Kiedis saying that Mike Patton had kind of stolen his style, I guess, apparently. Well, they both had their shirts off, I think. Both had their shirts off and they both kind of lunged around in similar manners, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Other than that, it feels like a little bit of a stretch to me. But let me play another cut from the record. This is a little bit of surprise. You're dead. <laughs> So there's the headbanging. Yeah. For me, this is my favorite side of Mr. Patton, the 
heavier heart the sort of metally side the growl voice yeah. less of the <laughs> stuff yeah. i like this <laughs> this part of him some of which he does really well in, in mr bungle and other projects that he's been a part of the three words i used to describe uh, this album Patton goes to war oh i get it oh general yeah. Patton. i see yeah there you nice, go man. Right. so uh, now he had a backing band that could elevate his varied vocal talents and he could elevate their music it was a really good match he was already in mr bungle which he kept he didn't that they didn't break up he, he kept doing that um but he mike, mike Patton, we've talked about on the show a few times solo things some of the various More than a few, I think. bands and projects, yeah. So I, I did a little digging, and it appears that somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 albums, including Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, Phantomas, Tomahawk, Mondo Kane, Dead Cross, as well as collaborations, guest appearances, and solo. 70 albums. So, wow. Jeez. The man continues to be super busy and and his projects recently have been some of my favorite things like the mr bungle return album what was that like 2020 something like that raging wrath of the easter bunny or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so i i really have come to appreciate him over the years like during the this time i was like yeah you know that's that's fun but i andy in particular has continued to expose me to his side projects and i just have grown to really love Mike Patton and pretty much everything he's done. So uh, it was it was fun digging into this album from that perspective of appreciating him as much as I now do. It really did deepen the experience. So it was fun. Yeah, I was impressed how kind of fully realized his voice sounds on this record. I was expecting it to be a little bit more rough or maybe not as dynamic as it is. But I think we should just maybe take a quick second and point out some of the shortcomings of the record. I do think there's a handful of less memorable tracks, maybe some that are a little bit throwaway love underwater and the morning after i think are kind of just shadows of earlier songs and there's a really long cover of war pigs which i i like i think is a good yeah. cover but i don't know if it really makes sense to have on this record yeah i think that was a bonus cut i think right or that was on the cd i think but not on the vinyl yes oh, okay which happened a lot in those days yeah but uh, you know it's a, again a victim of that time period where I feel like because the CD era bands were filling albums unnecessarily, like stick to stick to forty minutes of your best stuff. But there was that pressure to throw three more songs on there. This is not the only time. Anytime we're listening to albums from this from the CD era, they tend to run long. No matter how good they are, there are things that shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> yep. at the time, I was like, more is better. More is better. Yeah, no, no. But now looking back at it, I'm like, short is good. Yeah, so I mean, I really love this record. I, I think it's among their better records, but I'm not sure I would call it their best. I think Angel Dust maybe still holds that place for me. All right, so that is... The real thing, Faith No More. If you haven't heard it, definitely worth a listen. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. If you're enjoying the show, and we hope you are, do us a solid and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Maybe we made you laugh, or you discovered an album you enjoy. Leaving a review keeps the show going and helps other music fans find us. King's yeah. One, two, three. My pick from Headbangers Ball was a band called King's X and an album called Gretchen Goes to Nebraska, (laughs) Uh, which was uh, released in in June 1989. 
here's a, a song which I believe was featured on Headbangers Ball. Uh, this is Over My Head. Music, 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 I hear music. <laughs> then it gets music, music, I hear music. I'm always a sucker for songs about music. But, uh. <laughs> that's what they say about I, well, 50 I think, times. Yeah. I think that's what that song's about. <laughs> I'd have to dig a little deeper. Yeah, well, supposedly the lyrics were influenced uh, by uh, uh, Doug Pinnock is the, the lead vocalist and bass player. Uh, his grandmother kind of introduced him to, to gospel music and, and stuff like that. So I think this was kind of a, uh, an ode to that. So this is the the second studio album by King's X, who were formed in uh, Springfield, Missouri, uh, in 1979. That's, that's a metal town. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> they first uh, uh, they were first called The Edge, uh, and then later Sneak Preview. But the, they didn't actually end up recording an album until 1987, uh, and they've been a, a, a trio uh, since then. Uh, so Doug Pinnock, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Ty Tabor uh, on guitar and a bunch of other stringed instruments also flute, and then Jerry Gaskell uh, on drums. The the three words I, I chose to describe the album were uh, search for God, because really, you know, this, I mean, this is kind of a, a concept album, you know, supposedly, um, you know, based on a, a short story of the same name that the, the drummer wrote. You, you can actually find it online. I, I did read it. I couldn't find it. I found it, it on Reddit. Uh, ah, yeah. okay. But um, yeah, it was about like a, a girl kind of, you know, on a quest for uh, for something more or whatever. Music? Yes. For oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, so I you know I obviously uh, you know this this album is is all about like sort of a spiritual journey or looking for something more, you know. Often I, I think mistaken for kind of Christian rock, um, you know that's that's something that that's a label the band has you know had placed on them a, a, a few times, which they've rejected. So you know I had I had never spent time with King's X before, um, and maybe the first thing that that struck me was just sort of the grunge elements, right? The the sounds just. This is like pre-grunge. Um, and I was really struck by um, the harmonies that just reminded me of Alice in Chains. And I think it's pretty clear that, that, these, uh, that these guys influenced you know, some of those, those early grunge acts. Well, let's, let's hear a little more. Here's a song called Everybody Knows a Little Bit of Something. Everybody knows a little What I love about them is that harmony and then the hard rock element thing where they mix those together. And they do that really well, but that's really the only thing I enjoy. I, I, this, this album was a little meandery at times for me. Um, the three words I used to describe it are head, nodders, ball. Because it's not really a headbanging head <laughs> situation. You're just kind of nodding along like, yeah, right on. Mm -hmm. But with headbanging your, from your guts you're involved in that and when your head nodding it's just a reaction and then it kind of fades off and that's sort of what this album felt like to me where i'm like yeah yeah and then like i'm like oh, okay yeah and then sort of moving on so i do enjoy the like i said those harmonies are incredible i love that ability their soft heart the hard soft back and forth which is very grunge like they're masters at it but lyrically I feel like it could go deeper. 
especially the subject matter. And I could not follow the string of the concept at all. Because that's what I was really looking forward to experiencing or clicking with, and I, I couldn't do it. Partially because I couldn't find the story. Is there a cohesive story from Track the Track Down, or is it more just a general theme that things are based around? I don't think so. It, it was really hard to find a lot of details uh, uh, about this album. But yeah, it, it, it seems to be kind of a, a more loose you know, presentation of the, the themes from that, uh, from that short story. Well, it's touted as a concept album. Yeah. And that's why I was looking for it. They, you know, a concept album, I think, in that it's all just sort of about the same thing. But I think it's less of a kind of like a linear story. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let's hear another one. This is Summerland. Got that nice shimmery guitar in there with the very soulful vocals. I think two of my favorite aspects of this band. Doesn't he sound like Tom Schultz of Boston? No. Boston? Okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you don't hear <laughs> Well, there's only one guy in Boston. He's the, so, the guy. Yeah. yeah. So he, well, but he didn't do this most oh, of the that's right. singing, though. Oh, so I'm mistaken. So not Tom Schultz, then. Oh, this is embarrassing. I know. I blew it. Oh, no! <laughs> we suck again! He probably does sound like somebody from Boston, I would say. Somebody in the tri-state area there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he meant the city, not the, not the band. <laughs> anyway, um... My three words for this record are lost in a cornfield. Been there. Yeah, I'm sure you have, man. Similarly to the dude, I kind of felt like this record sort of spent a lot of time meandering about and didn't, I never if I was ever really on the same page with it. I liked elements of what they were doing, especially the opening cut out of the silent planet. It's a really subtle meandering song that I did find pretty interesting. Love the gospel elements. Love the low end. It really does sound a lot like Alice in Chains at times. Um, but these guys predated Alice in Chains, right? So mm-hmm. they were kind of... Correct. The OG. The whole, you know, God aspect of it. I feel like their later record hit me over the head more than this one did with it, but it definitely is a part of who they are. And it didn't doesn't bother me as much as it does in some other bands. It doesn't feel like they're preaching to me, you know, which I appreciate. Yeah, I mean, gospel or Christian upbringings or beliefs can influence rather than be a mission. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes where bands like this get caught in a net where it's like, I grew up in this, I'm familiar with this. Maybe you even have a relationship with the creator. That doesn't mean you're evangelizing. It just means you're talking about your experiences. There's actually a song on the album called Mission where I think he's addressing the idea of uh, tele-evangelism. Like, Mm -hmm. what are you you in it for? Uh, But again, in that song, I like the message, but the lyrics, it's like, eh. I just don't love the ways of things being brought to light. It's a little too straightforward, I guess, sometimes. Too straightforward for the dude, I mean. Hmm. But not in a clever way, Uh you know? Afraid of hell. It's like, uh, afraid of hell? Come on, you know? <laughs> All right. But yeah, so I guess, I mean, I like the record, but it just isn't overly memorable, and I, I kind of felt that way about uh, Dogman as well. Their stuff's good. 
Dogman was heavier. That's what I like about Dogman. It's heavier. Mm-hmm. I will say that this album grew on me as as the week went on. You know, it started out and I did feel like I I liked it a lot. I liked the sounds, but I don't know. There was nothing really like pulling me me into it. But um, you know, with each listen, you know, I've I've liked it a, a, a little more. I do feel bad for these guys, you know, because they're you know clearly very talented. Um, and I, while I know they're respected in the rock community they, and by other musicians. They yeah, they never, you know, they never uh, were were huge. Anyway, that was Kings X with Gretchen goes to Nebraska. Excuse me, I'd like to ask you a few questions. So this is that time on the show where we ask ourselves a question. All right, guys, what is your headbangiest experience? Was it a concert, an album, a private moment? When have you actually banged your head? Yeah, I'll leave the puns to you guys, but Aww. I think <laughs> puns. What? What puns? What are you even talking about? That wasn't loaded at all. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I have you know short hair just being generous and uh <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like i made for headbanging but i do enjoy the it does feel like a natural activity for this kind of music it doesn't feel like it feels very spontaneous yeah, and if you do mm-hmm. your head side to side like if you do the beatles <laughs> you know side to side thing it doesn't really work with this kind of music i was picturing the uh charlie brown peanuts dance oh, yeah. where they lift their shoulders, <laughs> the shoulders <up>. <laughs> <laughs> No, neither of those work quite as well as just thrashing them up and down violently. Uh, so yeah, I, I, you know, I admit I definitely do that occasionally. Um, usually with more extreme music than stuff we listen to today, but I think it works. It definitely can help get out some aggression. And oh my god, I've, if you guys have done that recently, it is exhausting. You do about <laughs> three minutes of head banging. I'm like wiped out. Well, especially like I'm afraid I'm gonna pull something if I do the head spinny kind when you're, you know, oh, like, man, no, I that's don't, advanced. you know, yeah. I wonder if we can make that like a workout routine or something. We can have a three-minute headbang workout. Right. And if, if we could get an exercise ball involved, then it could be the headbangers ball workout. Ooh, the headbangers exercise ball routine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cha-ching. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I've got a few examples. I've got actual examples. Like uh, a few years ago at my office, I sneezed and hit my head on my desk. So that was, <laughs> it was a really big sneeze. And I just like whacked my head on my desk. So that was some head banging. Yeah. Cause inside, man. Thank you. Pantera concert in 1994 was the only time I've really done it in terms of like in a crowd, like as a part of an experience. I mean, you couldn't, if you weren't head banging, Someone's going to punch you, you know what I mean? So it was pretty Pure much pressure. required. Was that the concert where you, you listened to the dark side of the moon on the way home? Was that that? Yes. Or? Yes. To try to come down from the energy. <laughs> nice. And every time I hear Metallica's one oh, yeah. at the 4.30 or so mark, yeah. I, I can't help it. You know, the doctor's imprisoning me. Like, I can't. Uh-huh. I can't not. So, uh, and then all week I've been banging my head to these records. Uh, particularly my pick. Okay. Well, when I was in high school, you know, my friend kind of lived out in the the country somewhere. And so we used to camp out in his woods. Um, and he was, you know, somebody who was really into headbangers ball and, you know, metal music and stuff like that. And so there was one group we kind of agreed on. Um, there's an industrial band called Knights or Ebb, who I knew, uh, cause they, oh, they, they opened for Depeche Mode once. Um, <laughs> 
But anyway, so like, you know, the middle of the night, we're listening to Knights of Rev and all of a sudden we're just like headbanging and kind of like trashing the the campsite. You know, we're like throwing <laughs> logs and stuff like that. There's one, a couple of funny moments, but I remember I, all of a sudden he like throws this, this giant log and boom, the music stops because he hit the, oh, the, uh, the boom box with it. Like I picture you guys just tearing everything up and then all of a sudden there's just this moment where you lock eyes and just move closer and closer. <laughs> But that's uh, just the romantic in me. <laughs> gosh. But um, I had like these, um, you know, like BJ's or Costco or whatever, one of those box stores, you, you get like these um, Cracker Jacks, like the individual boxes of them. And so we were just opening those up and just throwing like Cracker Jacks all over the <laughs> all over that's the woods. That's not good for the wildlife, man. Well, so actually, so we wake up the next morning, all the Cracker Jacks were gone. <laughs> so somebody had eaten them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so there's my my headbangiest moment. Good story, so, man. Yeah. Okay, so what's your headbangiest moment? Uh, let us know. Hit us up on the socials or our Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord. <laughs> hey, Beavis, check out this mega death song. Yeah, yeah. All <laughs> right, so you can't have headbanging without some Beavis and Butthead action. So I went with fairly obvious choice, Megadeth, the 1990 album Rust in Peace. Why don't we get started with Hangar 18? All right, so Hangar 18, the song's title refers to an Air Force base where it's speculated that uh, an alien aircraft from Roswell was stored. And it's true. That's kind of, yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> did, did Henry tell you that? There's a document. <laughs> um, and and the cover the cover of uh, of the album. Oh my gosh, this cover. Uh, yeah, gotta love it. Gotta love that cover. Can you just describe it for our listening audience? It's got world leaders depicted on the cover, and it appears that they're in Hangar 18. From left to right, unidentified British representative, Japanese Prime Minister Toshiki Kaifu, German President Richard von Walzecker, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev, and United States President at the time, George H.W. Bush. <laughs> There's like an alien in a tube, and, and they're in Hangar 18, hiding all these government secrets from us. And uh, the album Rust in Peace really focuses on not trusting government, not trusting wars, not trusting the reasons behind wars, religion, etc. And Dave Mustaine, on this album... It's their uh, fourth. I feel like he really came into his own after being kicked out of Metallica. And a lot of those albums after that were more of a F.U. Metallica kind of a thing. And this really felt like about something. Three words I used to describe this album. Uh, Metallica who? It all comes together on this album. It's the right lineup. Years of development as a lyricist, guitarist, letting go of some of his anger. And then starting on working on his sobriety, I think, were the perfect mix for for an album that makes you forget he was kicked out of Metallica and instead he's the dude from Megadeth. So I really love this. I think it's their best. So it was Dave Mustaine, David Ellefson, Marty Friedman came in on guitar and Nick Menza and 
Friedman's an incredible guitarist and pushed Mustaine. I think that they challenged each other to play even better. So this has some of the best guitar work on a Megadeth album. Hangar 18's got, you know, lyrics about Hangar 18, but the guitar solos and, and stuff, it just, it goes on for a good three or four minutes. It's awesome. So That song is a freaking tour de force, man. I, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. It's only five minutes long, but it feels like it's 20 minutes long in a good way. Yeah, and I should mention on the cover, Vic Rattlehead is the the kind of mascot that's on most of the album covers. Good old Vic Rattlehead. Bet you didn't know his name. Okay, why don't we get on to the next track? Let's listen to a little bit of Rust in Peace, Polaris. Cool track there. This, I sound nicely encapsulates the things I like and don't like about this record. The three words I use to describe it are metal, Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to shut up and just enjoy the music. <laughs> wow. I, this, this record is very impressive. It's Especially the guitars and drums are ridiculously good. Uh, it might be among the, the best in this like thrash genre that I've heard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. That's awesome. That's really great. But some of the lyrics are a little sophomoric, maybe, or a little cartoonish at times. And maybe that's just their shtick. It's metal. Yeah. It's dealing with like very serious subjects, though, like nuclear war and, you know, government cover ups and the military and stuff. It just doesn't feel like the weight of what he's talking about is conveyed in, in the lyrics. But regardless, I really enjoy Mustaine's vocals. I think he, you know, he, he's right in that sweet spot between like really high end vocals, like a you know, Judas Priest and more like, you know, growly type vocal. I think he's pretty great. And the guitars just kind of like make up for any sort of shortcomings lyrically, in my opinion. I think this sounds like as cool as stuff Metallica was doing, you know, honestly. So I was very impressed overall. That That is a perfect sentiment because I, I think this album is, you know, this around the time Injustice for All came out for just pure headbanging metal this one might be the better yeah maybe not as artistic but it's great i think this is more intricate uh in terms of how it's composed in most metallica albums plus you hear the bass (laughs) (laughs) yeah they sound good it's well recorded all right so why don't we listen to another track this one is called tornado souls Yeah, so that's uh, that's an epic guitar solo from Friedman. It kind of goes on forever, and and like I'm glad about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's so good, and I'm really mad at myself for not being into this stuff at the time. You know, because how cool to you know if you were into thrash metal to have you know Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax and Slayer all at the same time. It must have been really exciting for people, and I feel like I, I missed out on it. I feel the same. I think, and I don't know how it is now in schools, but your personality was for a lot of people defined by what genre of music you listen to, yeah. and you couldn't really play in in the metal without you were a poser if you weren't a metalhead guy mm-hmm. and so yeah i i stayed away from it too and i wish i hadn't uh, so the the three words i chose to describe the album again i just stole a a, a track uh from the album uh take no prisoners take no shit yeah, right <laughs> there's a real 
I think sense of urgency with with this album, you know, I guess because of some of the, you know, the the political subject matter. I, I don't know the genre that well, but I, I think if somebody asked me to pick, you know, a definitive thrash album, I think this might be it. Maybe this and like Master of Puppets or, or something, you know, so this is, yeah, it's just, it's great. Excellent! I think the one thing that maybe has kept me away from Megadeth in the past is actually the the vocals from Mustaine. Sometimes he kind of has that like Crypt Keeper sort of Hello thing. Hello, me. It's me. me. The real me. <laughs> um, and that was uh, – <laughs> he doesn't do that quite as much uh, on this one. I, I feel like he's kind of singing normally for the, for the most part. There's one track I got to mention, uh, Five Magics, that has like this oh, yeah. weird – like backing vocal it sounds yeah. kind of the crypt keeper is that the one when they uh like drop the tone sword yes. sword verse? i like yes. that he's <laughs> talking back and forth i actually liked it too yeah. oh i think it sounds terrible <laughs> i like the conversation but yeah so you know i'm uh, i'm a huge fan of this this record uh yeah you're you're right yeah you know you mentioned that the um you know the bass sound and how you can't hear it in injustice for all um you really hear it here what's his name elfman ellison sorry yeah uh, ellison. ellison i love the the beginning of dawn patrol that little like little funky bass there and yeah good good stuff right on all right so <laughs> i'm gonna nominate this for the album nerds hall of fame I mean, the way I see it, if you even come close to saying something like "this is up there with Master of Puppets" in the, especially in the in the uh, thrash space, then it's Hall of Fame worthy, you know, for sure. So yes. Uh oh, and he's got that look. Yeah. He's got that, well. that no, the no look in his eye. <laughs> Dude, this is like one of the penultimate. You know, it's one of the albums of. Of that genre, uh, I'm I'm trying. I'm looking for some way to get a no in there, but I I feel like the lyrics are the only way for me to do that. And any sort of good faith, I don't think they're that bad. So I, I will say yes. Hey, I'll say yes as as well. I am surprised though when I look at some lists of like top metal albums of all time. A lot of times, all their Megadeth records are ahead of this one. Really, that's foolish. This is the one. So congratulations, Megadeth. It's the real thing, Mr. Mustaine. You've done it again. I mean, I think. He must, you know, it's that music that's in his head. <laughs> music, music. <laughs> A rare moment where Andy sings. Can't help it with that song. All right, so we spent the, the week uh, exploring music from Headbangers Ball. Did we learn anything? Uh, you know, good head protection is always essential mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. any of this listening. What did we learn? Yeah, I would have liked to. I probably would have really enjoyed the show. I saw when you have the clips I saw of it looked fun, very loose. And, uh, you know, these guys are, they're just guys. And they're pretty, like to goof around a lot and stuff. So I appreciate that. And they're very different than modern day television. I don't know. If I have any other big takeaways, do you guys have anything comes to mind? Well, MTV were masters at using a genre to capture an audience, right? And not all the music featured was heavy metal. And I, I think that they were expanding the genre, I think partially just because longevity for the channel. I think it's just smart to try and bring more people into the audience. But even if you didn't like the videos, and this is what I, you know, kind of off what Andy said, what I never really thought about because I didn't watch the show regularly, but bringing the guest bands in, like Megadeth when they hosted, they were ragging on, you know, Striper or whatever. Yeah. Oh, we're going to play this video. Not sure why, because it sucks, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And that energy, was that's very metal so that would have been a lot of like Andy said that would have been a lot of fun to to watch and to see your bands from that 
perspective. So yeah, uh, so I learned that uh, it was more than just some some metalhead show. An interesting piece of American culture, and and not only the music, but the personalities behind it. It was interesting that we each picked albums from around the same time period. Which, which I often look at as kind of like an in-between period for, uh, for rock, you know, so we're moving out of that, that hair metal era and into the grunge. And so you have the, you know, we each picked like three artists that sort of don't really fit into either of those, uh, either of those realms. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And of course we learned music, music, I, I hear music. music. <laughs> <laughs> and that's one to grow on. Gather around, boys and girls. It's that time once again. Bring out our trusty companion, Wadbot, here to tell us what our musical destiny has in store. Howdy, y'all. Your musical destiny involves cold ones, whiskey, sweet tea, and trucks. You will be exploring albums from today's country music scene. You'll come back now. You're here. So today's country, country artists of today i might not have as much trouble as you guys with this one we shall oh, see that's be good we haven't had a country record in quite some time so thanks wadbot <laughs> kind of <laughs> always count on wadbot to throw a wrench into things all right quick reminder that we do have two ongoing albums hall of fame votes open for your participation democracy it only works if we all participate that's right <laughs> The two records that are up for vote are Michael Jackson's Off the Wall and T-Rex Electric Warrior. If you have an opinion on any of those records, go to the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord, or simply go to our website, fill out the form, cast your vote now, or forever rust in peace. Okay, what's your favorite album to headbang to? What do you like from today's country? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Nerds. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support. Thank you for joining us on the Album Nerds Podcast. We'll catch you next week with today's country. Yeehaw. Everybody. See you. See you next week. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> None of your pillow talk up in here, man. It's it. What is it? <laughs> Do you like gift keepers on the show this week? I didn't know. Did you pull something? <laughs> <laughs>